Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we're exploring Chapter 8. This chapter is titled Transforming the Three Poisons, Craving, Anger, and Ignorance. This is the part of the Buddhist teachings that really start to open your eyes to fully understand all the problems that the unenlightened mind is experiencing and why it stays trapped in the unenlightened state. So far, when we've been talking about discontentedness and the elimination of discontentedness, to get to enlightenment where the mind is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, we've been talking about craving, desire, attachment, this being the cause of discontentedness because that is the cause to discontentedness and a practitioner needs to eliminate craving, desire, attachment in order to get to enlightenment. But there's these other problems that the Buddha described as part of his teachings that it's important to start understanding because there are specific antidotes to these. We call them the three poisons describing the problems and then the solutions are antidotes. We also refer to these as the three unwholesome roots. And then the way to transform the mind is to practice the three wholesome roots. We also call these the three fires. And then the way to eliminate these is to extinguish the fires. So the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, and the three fires are essentially describing the same thing, which is craving, anger, and ignorance. And I'm going to describe these to you today in our class in detail so that you understand deeply what the problem is in the unenlightened mind, not just craving, but these other problems as well. And we're going to talk about the specific antidotes to these so that then with an understanding of what the problem is and how to transform the mind, you can then do the work to actually transform the mind and eliminate this pollution of mind and experience the enlightened mental state. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class, whether you're joining for the first time or you've been joining regularly. If you're joining live or maybe on one of the replays, I'd like to welcome all of you. This is really a very helpful topic to really understand. And if you haven't yet read chapter eight, it's important that you do that. That chapter is going to share with you teachings in detail that I will be able to share some of that with you today. But the book itself will have a lot more detail in there. So let's go ahead and start discussing the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires so that you guys will understand these in more detail. The three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires are known as defilements. We call them defilements because these are the pollutions of mind. This is what we call the taints or the defilements, the pollution. This is what's hindering you from experiencing enlightenment. Some people like to think about it as you're already enlightened 
the mind's natural state is to be enlightened. And it's these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires, these defilements that are kind of blocking your ability to experience that radiance or that brightness of the natural mind. So it's these three poisons, three unwholesome roots or these three fires that are hindering you from being able to experience this radiance, this enlightened mind of being peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So what your practice becomes in order to get to enlightenment is eradicating the three poisons. And you do that through practicing the antidotes to these, which is what we're going to be talking about today. The three poisons explain why the unenlightened mind makes the decisions that it makes. And it helps you to understand the unwholesome results that you experience in life. Because everything that we experience is the results of our decisions or our gamma, cause and effect or action and result. Not as punishment and rewards, but just as a result of our decisions. So when we make decisions, if they're tainted or polluted or defiled, with craving, anger, and ignorance, then our decision is being made out of these unwholesome roots or these three poisons or these three fires. And when we put those decisions into the world, now because they're tainted or polluted, there's going to be a certain amount of unwholesomeness that we experience. But by clearing out your mind of these three poisons and now making decisions through the three wholesome roots, which are the exact opposites of the three poisons, or the three unwholesome roots by making decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. Now your decisions aren't tainted or polluted with craving, anger, and ignorance, and you'll experience wholesome results. The three poisons provide a very clear description of the problems in the unrelated mind and how to eliminate them or solve them by antidoting them and moving the mind to this enlightened mental state. There's a certain level of detail that you understand as part of craving anger and ignorance of in terms of what the problem in the unrelated mind is. And there's certain antidotes or certain solutions that are implemented at that kind of higher level. But then there's a much deeper level of detail that the Buddha explains in the 10 fetters. This is a typical way that the Buddha taught is that he had these different layers of teachings that you can't just get deep into the details right from the beginning that he kind of pulls back these layers, layer by layer by layer. So the Four Noble Truths is that first kind of layer of understanding where in four simple statements, you understand the problem, the cause, the elimination, and the path forward. And then it's the Eightfold Path that kind of lays out the path of how to actually practice. And then the middle way and the five precepts and things like this. So now we're at a point where it's time to really discuss this problem of the unenlightened mind in its totality, not just as craving desire attachment, but the entire aspect of the mind from this kind of higher level of the three poisons. And then also understanding that these go much deeper as part of the 10 fetters, which explains each individual detailed problem. And there's individual solutions for each one of those 10. But you need to first understand this level of detail before you can get deeper down into the 10 fetters. The antidotes are known as the three wholesome roots, or uh, this is essentially what is the antidote. If you think about these as poisons, then it's the antidote that fixes them. Or if you think about these as unwholesome roots, then you're uprooting the three unwholesome roots. And now you're bringing in the wholesome roots. 
And just like if you had a big tree that was growing, you know, really big and it had roots deep into the ground all throughout the ground, it's going to take you time to get those roots up out of the ground. Even if you cut off the tree and the tree falls down and there's just a trunk of a tree left, these roots are still deeply permeating into the soil. And if you were going to go around and get rid of these roots out of the soil, it would take you quite a while to dig up each one of those roots and get them out of the soil. So it's the same thing as these unwholesome roots are deeply embedded into the unenlightened mind, motivating unskillful conduct motivating uh, unskillful and non-virtuous conduct where our speech isn't exactly uh, wholesome or our actions, our bodily actions isn't exactly wholesome or maybe our livelihood isn't exactly wholesome. And because of this, because we don't understand, we lack wisdom, we go around and we make decisions thinking that they're the best decisions, but we don't realize until we deeply study the Buddha's teachings, the fully perfectly enlightened Buddha, that we understand the clarity of what he taught in order to now arise these wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So it moves out this craving, anger, and ignorance, but it's a gradual process. Just like if you were digging up the roots of that tree, it's gonna take you several weeks or maybe even months, depending on how big this tree is and how deeply embedded these roots are into the soil. It's gonna take you a really long time to get these roots out of the ground. So it's the same thing with the unenlightened mind. It's gonna take you a while to really uproot these three unwholesome roots. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have so far about what I've just shared. You can ask questions by raising your hand in Zoom and you can ask directly, or you can ask questions in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom and put your comments in the comment section. Our moderators will see that and be sure that your question gets asked during the class. Another short. So can we describe these three unwholesome roots as the main reason or main cause for all unwise decisions that lead to unwelcome results or outcomes? Yes, every single complication that you are experiencing, that other people are experiencing, any difficulty that you see in the world, it all comes back to these three unwholesome roots. You can trace every single thing back because anything that's occurring in the world, it's occurring essentially based on human behavior, human decisions. There's, of course, animals and other beings that are doing things and making certain decisions. But in terms of the problem that any one individual is experiencing, they're experiencing those difficulties and struggles based on their own decisions. And when we make decisions that are tainted or defiled with craving, anger, and ignorance, then there's going to be unwholesome results because of it. So by clearing out the unwholesome roots and now making decisions through the wholesome roots, now you will experience wholesome outcomes. So every single difficulty and struggle that we experience is because the mind is polluted with craving, anger, and ignorance. So any enlightened being and every enlightened being will have these three poisons, right? Yes, in order to get to enlightenment, you would have to completely eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance. There would be no more craving, anger, and ignorance in the mind. So when you understand this, then you understand that getting to enlightenment, it's not just purely an intellectual pursuit. There are certain things that you need to learn intellectually. That's how you bring the teachings into the mind. But then you start reflecting on the teachings and you start independently verifying them and seeing that they're the truth. And then you start practicing 
things like meditation, but also things like right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and so forth. And when you're practicing these teachings, now that's where the real transformation of the mind occurs. Because somebody could intellectually understand the teachings, but still have harsh speech, for example. And in that situation, even though they might be able to intellectually explain to you the teachings to a certain level of detail, they haven't really transformed the mind and eliminated the pollution of mind because their mind is still producing this unwholesome speech. They're still producing harsh speech, for example. And when they put that harsh speech out into the world, then people are going to speak to them harshly. So it doesn't matter what we necessarily know intellectually. If we haven't done the work to transform the mind, then we're not going to experience this enlightened mental state. So there's this need to learn intellectually, but then the real transformation of eradicating these poisons from the mind occurs through your practice. And this is how we can observe when people are enlightened or they aren't enlightened, that we can see through their intentions, their speech and their actions and the way they interact in the world that people can observe that are very familiar with what enlightenment is and what it isn't. You can observe whether someone is enlightened or not, not as a way to judge somebody, but this occurs oftentimes in Thailand when there's a certain community looking for somebody to lead a temple they will go out, the community members will kind of go out, you know, looking for somebody who is either enlightened or very close to it. And they can observe through their conduct and yes, through their teaching and what they're actually teaching. And do they intellectually know the teachings, but they can also observe that through their conduct and how they interact in the world. That's where you can observe the real transformation of the mind, because whatever we produce in terms of speech or bodily actions or the decisions we make about our livelihood and things like this, it's all coming from our mind. So if our mind is polluted, then our decisions about speech, actions, and livelihood are also going to be polluted. But then conversely, if we've eradicated that pollution and now there's nothing but wholesomeness there, then when we make decisions about our speech, our actions, and our livelihood, it won't be tainted with the pollution of craving, anger, and ignorance. Well, are you saying that for a practitioner, to get their practice into the perfect practice, they need to first study, deeply study these teachings and then spend time reflecting on them, right? For getting their practice closer to the perfect practice. Yes, this is like essentially an iterative process where you maybe learn and as you're learning, you're reflecting, you're not believing the teachings, you're reflecting on them, you're independently verifying them, and then you move them into practice and you start practicing them a bit. But you're not going to be able to, you know, snap your fingers and instantly practice something like right speech. So you're working on improving your speech. And then you might have to learn some more and get some personal guidance, attend classes, read some more books. And then you're learning and now you're reflecting and then you practice some more. And then you come back and you're learning some more. So that's like this, it's like these stair steps. You take one step after another and you're working up towards a more and more ideal practice of the Eightfold Path. And you'll be able to get closer and closer to the ideal practice when you're eradicating these poisons. So everything on the Eightfold Path is already designed for you to eliminate these three poisons. If you learn the Eightfold Path and you practice the Eightfold Path, you are eliminating these three poisons. But when you understand what the three poisons are, the way that I'm going to explain them to you today, 
in the way that I'm going to explain to you the antidotes, then not only do you have the Eightfold Path that you're working that really closely, really well, but you deeply understand what the true problem is because when you see craving, anger, ignorance arise, then you can take active steps to implement solutions and remedies and address it so that it's not continuing to plague the mind. I was wondering if we are born with these three poisonous, like is every newborn baby, do they come in this world with that? Or is it something that we bring from previous lives? Where does it come from? Yes, these three poisons, particularly craving and ignorance, are part of our rebirth that because our previous life, there was still craving in the mind that's what is the fuel that causes rebirth because there was craving in a previous life there wasn't enlightenment the mind wasn't enlightened so because there's this mental longing and strong eagerness there's rebirth into the world and now with this newborn baby there's craving and there's ignorance we're not born with anger or will that gets formed over the course of our life like a baby doesn't come out you know with ill will and resentment and hatred towards other beings this gets conditioned in the mind and one of the ways that you can see craving exist at the time of birth is that when a baby comes out they're crying right you know they're not like thank goodness i'm here oh this is so wonderful i've been reborn when a baby's born eh, why because they're craving to be back in the mom's stomach they were comfortable they were warm they were in this fluid they were just you know, sitting around, not really doing anything. They were being fed by the umbilical cord. They were attached to this womb of their mother. And then all of a sudden, impermanence happens. You can't stay here in this womb forever. It's not permanent. Now you come out of the womb of the mother, eh, discontent because the mind is craving permanence. It wants to stay in that womb permanently. So that's why we experience the crying when we're born because of the craving desire attachment. So because we had craving desire attachment in our previous life, we are reborn. We have another life uh, in continuous rebirth. And then you can see that to be true through your reflection. If you understand about birth, that babies are born crying. They're discontent when they're first born. And then the whole reason why this craving exists in the first place is because of ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. So even though we call these craving, anger, and ignorance, they're not in order. It's really because of ignorance that craving and anger exist. Would it not be for ignorance, craving and anger wouldn't exist. So that's why the ultimate solution to all the problems that the unenlightened mind is experiencing is wisdom. That's why belief doesn't work to transform the mind from unenlightened to enlightened, because with belief, you don't know if it's true or false. You haven't gained any wisdom. You're just believing. So when you learn these teachings and you reflect on them to independently verify them, and then you're practicing them, this is where you acquire wisdom. And one of the first wisdoms that you acquire is that it's craving desire attachment that is causing the discontentedness. So now you start focusing in on craving. But what we're going to be talking about today is the bigger problem of anger and ignorance as well, because if it wasn't for ignorance, then craving and anger wouldn't ever exist. That's why an enlightened being has cultivated a significant amount of wisdom to then be able to implement the solutions to eliminate craving and anger. I think there's short. No more questions for now. All right.
let's talk about what the three poisons are from a bit of a high level and then I'm going to go into each individual poison individually explaining what those are in the actual antidotes. So these three poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance, they're masking this true nature of the awakened mind, of having wisdom and compassion. Because as long as there's craving in there, the mind's going to be functioning through our selfish desires, through grasping, wanting the satisfaction outside of ourselves, not realizing that it's our mental longing and strong eagerness that is actually causing us to be discontent. So this craving is masking this natural mind or this true nature of the mind, this awakened mind where the mind can be liberated. And because of this yearning and longing, it motivates non-virtuous, unskillful intention, speech, and actions, which then produces unwholesome results or unwholesome gamma. And then by transforming these or antidoting or remedying these, then somebody can experience the brightness or the radiance of the enlightened mind. So let me give you an example here. So say a person has this mental longing and strong eagerness, this craving for money and wealth. Well, say this person now, they start pursuing this money and wealth and they build this career. They go through the corporate ladder. Maybe they're stepping on people, gossiping about people, backstabbing people just because of their selfish desire to get to the top and make all this money. And then once they actually get to the top, they don't have anybody to support them because they've backstabbed and gossiped everybody. And now they find that it's very difficult even having acquired this income or this high position to maintain it because nobody's supporting them in that position. Where somebody else who doesn't have craving, anger, and ignorance or somebody who doesn't have this craving or this mental longing with a strong eagerness, they could still pursue increased wealth. They could still pursue getting promotions at their job, but do it in a wholesome way where they're being supportive, they're being encouraging, they're helping their colleagues and their coworkers, they're working together as a team. And now because of their conducive nature to work together with others, they're being promoted to higher and higher levels, making more and more of an income in the people around them are supportive of them to move up to those higher positions because they've done so much work to bring the team together and contribute to the overall efforts and productivity of the work environment. So the ultimate end outcome is similar in that there's wealth at the end, but a person who does it through the wholesomeness of generosity, loving kindness and wisdom, you know, helping people and being conducive in work environments, that person, once they get to the top, is going to be much more solid in their promotion in the way that they perform their job, where this other person is only a matter of time before they fall away because there's not the support there to help them in their job. People don't want to work with them, even though they've been promoted. People aren't eager to help this person to be successful in their new job because this person was a backstabber and gossiping and talking bad about people to ultimately get to that position. So this is where craving, when there's this mental longing and strong eagerness for something, we cut corners, we maybe lie, we maybe cheat, we maybe steal, we maybe gossip just to get our own selfish desires. So this is where craving or greed or this mental longing, strong eagerness, these desires, these attachments, they motivate this unskillful or non-virtuous behavior and conduct that 
ends up essentially blowing up in our face where we make a bunch of decisions and we are just looking out for ourselves. And now we get down the road and we realize that we're essentially alone because we've been making all these selfish decisions. And then if we get the objects of our affection through our craving, through our desire, through our attachment, then there's these pleasant feelings. But then it's only a matter of time before that changes. And now we don't get the objects of our affection. And this is where anger or hatred comes in. We have this hostility or this aggression where we have aversion and we repulse. We kind of push people away because we have this unpleasant feeling, these painful feelings based on the circumstances and situations that we're involved in. We have these certain uncomfortable experiences and we feel like the only way to solve this is to push the people in the situations out of our life. And that we think in the unenlightened state that that's what's gonna solve the problem is by pushing the people and the situations out. But then it's only a matter of time before that same situation occurs again and now we're right back in the same problem. And it's because of the craving longing for something, wanting the objects of our affection, that we chase things. If we get the objects of our affection, we have these pleasant feelings. If we don't get the objects of our affection, then we have this anger, this hatred, this hostility, this aggression that comes out, this non-virtuous or unskillful intention, speech, and actions. And then with wrong view, not realizing that it's our own craving that's causing this anger to arise, we typically blame other people for the cause of our anger. And now because we think it's the other person or this situation that's causing our anger, we tend to push that person or situation out thinking that's gonna solve the problem. But the unenlightened mind is confused because it has this ignorance or this delusion or this misunderstanding or this misperception. It thinks that this other person is causing the anger. So it thinks that the way to solve the problem is push that person out. When in reality, what's truly happening is the mind's own craving, desire, attachment is what's causing the problem. And when you have this wisdom that you understand that you're causing your own discontent feelings, then instead of trying to push people away, thinking that's going to solve the problem, instead you focus inwardly and you focus on what the real problem is, which is your own craving, anger, and ignorance. And when you are applying the wholesome roots or the antidotes to the three poisons, then you're actually making real progress. Because as long as the mind has this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality, this dullness, this misperception, this wrong views of reality, this misunderstanding of how the world around us works through these natural laws of existence, it's gonna to continue to have craving, it's gonna to continue to have anger because of this ignorance. So when we learn the Buddhist teachings and then we reflect on them, independently verifying them and moving them into practice, now with that wisdom, we can focus on the true problem, which is our own craving and anger. And when we fix that through the remedies that the Buddha shares, now we experience real progress. This is the reason why we just have complication after complication, struggle after struggle, difficulty after difficulty in our life is because we're focused on the wrong problem. We think that everyone else is the problem. Because of that arrogance, because of that ego, because of that conceit that's in the mind, we think that we're perfect in the unenlightened state and we think everyone else is the problem. So we point the finger at everyone else, push them out of our life, and eventually we get to the point where we can't really 
associate with others because we've created this life of isolation, pushing people and situations out of our life. When, when we focus on the real problem, which is our own craving, anger, and ignorance, now we can actually solve the problem because that's the root of the problem. The problem isn't what other people are doing. The problem isn't the things that other people are doing. The problem is, is our choices of how we interact in the world and who we might choose to associate with. So by understanding these three poisons, you understand what the true problems are, and then you can implement the true solutions. So let's talk about craving in more detail as it relates to these three poisons, because this is what we've been essentially focusing on so far in this group learning program, but now we can get into it in even more detail above and beyond what we've discussed in the Four Noble Truths. So craving or greed, this desire, this attachment, it's this burning desire, this never-ending thirst, this yearning and longing, wanting the objects of our affection, thinking that this is going to somehow provide some kind of lasting satisfaction or this inner fulfillment, like somehow we're going to feel whole and complete if we just acquire this thing. So if you've ever wanted a pair of shoes or you wanted a new car or you wanted a new house or you wanted a new job, you wanted a new jewelry or some income or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you just think that this object is going to complete you. That is a craving, desire, attachment. The mind is longing and yearning externally, thinking that this external thing is going to provide lasting inner satisfaction, but it never does. We only experience the temporary pleasant feelings when we first acquire this piece of jewelry, or when we first acquire these shoes, or when we first buy this new car, or we first get this new boyfriend or girlfriend, or this new job. We feel pleasant feelings for a temporary period, and it kind of reinforces that we were right in our delusion, in our ignorance. We chased after the objects of our affection. We got it. We experienced these pleasant feelings, but then we don't realize a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later, when this new job kind of wears on us and we don't like it anymore, or when that new pair of shoes gets old and we don't like them anymore, or this income that we've now acquired and no longer satisfies our never-ending thirst, our burning desire for more material possessions, that $50,000 a year job isn't satisfying anymore. We want 75. And then we get that. And that's satisfying for a little while. We have these temporary pleasant feelings, but then it's not lasting. So now we want 100,000 or 125. So the mind has this never-ending thirst where it just keeps yearning and yearning and longing for the objects of our affection, chasing these things, thinking that this is what's going to ultimately fulfill our mind, but it never does. We only get these temporary pleasant feelings. And when those temporary pleasant feelings wear off in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and we're now left with painful feelings, we don't associate that the reason why we're experiencing these painful feelings is because we were chasing the pleasant feelings. It's because of the craving, the yearning, the longing. That's what's actually causing the painful feelings because we were chasing the pleasant feelings and we might have gotten the objects of our affection. And that was then basing our inner feelings, those pleasant feelings, 
off of this impermanent situation or this impermanent object. And as long as the mind is chasing these pleasant feelings, it's going to ultimately experience painful feelings because those things that the mind is basing its pleasant feelings on are impermanent. So that means as soon as those conditions change, then we're going to move from the pleasant feelings to the painful feelings. So this craving, this yearning, this longing, this wanting the objects of our affection, chasing this unattainable goal because of this strong eagerness that the mind is chasing after, it's never going to be satisfied. It's just going to want more and more and more and more. So the antidote or the remedy to this that I've been mentioning and also teaching you guys throughout this program is breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. With breathing mindfulness meditation, you're training the mind to let go because what the unenlightened mind's doing with craving and it's longing and yearning and it's trying to hold on to things permanently. So when you're in meditation and you're focused on the breath and the mind moves off the breath and you let it go and come back to the breath and then it goes off the breath again and you let it go and you come back to the breath. And then it goes again. So you're not trying to eliminate the thoughts and meditation. But what you're doing is you're training the mind to more easily let things go. So that then in daily life, the mind's not chasing after the objects of its affection, thinking that, you know, this computer is going to satisfy me or this microphone is going to satisfy me or these clothes are going to satisfy me. You realize that all these things are impermanent and it doesn't make sense to allow the mind to cling to it or to hold on to it or chase after it. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're arising and cultivating this right mindfulness or this awareness of mind. And with this awareness of mind, you're now more aware of what's going on in the mind. And you're also developing concentration or singleness of mind so that then in meditation, you're cultivating those qualities that when the mind is off the breath, you can then bring it back easily. And that becomes easier and easier as time goes on. And then in daily life, with that arisen mindfulness or awareness of mind, you're driving down the street, somebody cuts you off in traffic, you can see that the anger is about to arise because there's this craving of wanting this lane of traffic to yourself thinking that this lane is going to be permanent, not realizing that it's not permanent, it's impermanent. So you can slow down, you can change lanes. There's lots of different things that you can do to remedy the situation. But honking the horn and blaring the horn or giving someone the middle finger or becoming irate or enraged isn't going to solve the problem. But when somebody blames the other person, thinking that they're the ones who are causing the anger to arise, then there's this lashing out towards the other person. And that's where we find ourselves with this unskillful conduct, which now if we road rage in a situation like that, the other person might have a gun. They might have a baseball bat. They might crash into us. There might be all kinds of other problems. But when you can restrain the mind and you can let this go and be like, okay, you would like that lane, go ahead. I'm just going to slow down or I'm going to change lanes and kind of move away from this situation. Now, by letting that go, now your mind can remain calm and you can now function and have skillful conduct where you're not causing harm through your intentions, your speech, and your actions. So it's a consistent, well-developed breathing mindfulness meditation practice of two to three sessions per day 
of 30 minutes or more that is going to gradually uproot craving from the mind. It's going to gradually uproot this desire, this burning desire, this never-ending thirst and yearning and longing. That breathing mindfulness meditation practiced on a consistent long-term basis is what's going to gradually transform the mind away from craving. So it's not an immediate fix. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-week thing. It's not a one-month thing, right? It's going to take some time to gradually move the mind to where it can easily let things go. And then the same thing is a practice of generosity where you're giving and sharing, where you're practicing generosity with the people around you. By giving and sharing, you're training the mind to not hold on so tightly. You know, we're usually taught as children to give and share, but we don't know exactly why. The reason why is because when you hold on to things with your selfish desires, now there's going to be these discontent feelings that arise because if this is my favorite glass that was given to me maybe by my grandmother and I am holding on to this glass really really tightly and I don't want anyone else to use it because I don't want it to break and the mind is just holding on to it really tightly now when I have this glass there's going to be these pleasant feelings but this glass is impermanent we know that so as soon as this glass breaks or chips the mind's going to be discontent. So what you need to do is train the mind that it's not this glass that's going to bring contentedness and peacefulness and joy to the mind. And by having generosity where we share our time, our effort, our energy, our resources with other people, then we can gradually train the mind to let go. And if you're not used to being generous, you're going to need to do this gradually, just like you build up your meditation practice gradually to two to three sessions of 30 minutes or more per session. You got to build that up gradually. You build up your practice of generosity gradually too. Maybe you open a bag of chips and there's a couple of other people around and you just offer somebody a chip. And that's kind of like what you can do right now. And you do that a few times and you feel like, wow, this is nice to share with other people. And then you kind of expand that and you start sharing and giving more and more ways, but always being sure that you're in the middle because you wouldn't be able to practice generosity with craving. If you had craving, desire, attachment, and you were sharing in excess, then you're not going to have what you need in order to maintain your life because you're not practicing the middle way. So you need to find the middle, even with something like meditation and generosity, where you're giving and sharing with generosity, but you're not overextending yourself. But also, if you didn't give anything and you didn't share with anybody, you didn't practice generosity at all, then this would allow the mind to remain selfish and it's going to be holding on. It's going to be clinging and there's going to be a lot of discontentedness there. So you need to bring in this practice of generosity where you're consistently on an ongoing basis, regularly sharing and giving. It doesn't have to be $500 a month. It doesn't have to be letting someone borrow your car every day. It doesn't have to be, you know, going over to your neighbor's house and mowing their lawn for them. But where you can, where you observe that you're able to practice generosity with your friends, your family, even strangers, people that you don't know, maybe Buddhist temples or meditation centers or your teachers, people that are around you. If you make it kind of a regular, consistent practice where you integrate it into your life, 
then it trains the mind to gradually not hold on to all these things. And then because these things are impermanent, it reinforces in the mind that anytime you're buying something or anytime you are doing something, you know that these things are impermanent and it trains the mind to let go. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have on craving and the antidote to craving. The way that you ask questions is put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like. As for the example you provided about the cup you have, does this mean that every time or when others ask us to use our mobile phone, our laptop, or so on, and we experience discontentedness, this is because there is attachment to this uh, mobile phone or this laptop? Yes, if somebody asks you to use your mobile phone and you get angry at them for that, that's because you're attached to the phone. And rather than continuing to hold on to the phone and hold it tightly, with the knowledge and the wisdom of what the problem is here, then you can do something different. Where in the past, before you knew that this is a problem, the craving is the problem. That's what's causing discontentedness. When somebody asked to borrow your phone, you might've gotten angry and pushed them away because you don't want them in your life thinking that they're gonna break your phone or use your phone in ways that you don't want. But now with this wisdom of what the problem is, in that situation when someone asks you to use your phone, you might just say, sure, here you go, you can use it, right? But it doesn't mean every single time somebody asks you that you could let them use it because that would be permanence. So if there's a three-year-old child who would like to use my phone, sure, I might let them use it, but I'm gonna sit there and help them to be sure that they don't break it, right? Because, but not with craving, you know, I'm not gonna be so overly protective of this phone, but you can still exercise wisdom where you understand that you can't permanently let every single person who ever asked you for your phone to use it. But at the same time, if you were selfish and holding on to it real tight, that wouldn't be wise either. So you've got to find this middle way where the certain things that you have in your life, certain material possessions, and I always say time, effort, energy, and resources, because that kind of encompasses everything, that you find ways to give and share. And when people maybe ask you for something, maybe in some cases you're able to help them and you're able to allow them to uh, benefit from your time effort energy and resources but in other situations it may be best to not allow them to use it particularly if they have a, a huge craving and they're just constantly coming to you for the same things over and over and over again they're not figuring out ways to acquire these things on their own so it's not going to solve the problem if you just keep giving into their craving so you've got to find this middle way of how to practice, but it's important for you to not hold on to these things because it's going to cause you discontentedness. Well, when we give and when we share these things with others, they expect that this will happen permanently. So they constantly come and come and come to ask for these things. What would be a wise reply, a wise speech to practice in this situation? Yeah, so there's going to be situations where you need to say no to people. And that's part of life is that the answer isn't going to always be yes, because that would be permanence. So I call this the art of the friendly no. How to say no without saying no, right? So if somebody came to you and asked to use your car, maybe the first time or two, 
maybe you feel like this person can use it and you're fine with that. But then maybe like a third, fourth, fifth time they come and you might say something to them of, while I was able to help you in the past and allow you to use the car, and I will probably be able to help you in the future too, potentially, but right now I'm not able to help you with using the car. I really apologize for that. That's one potential way. So there I said no, but I didn't actually say no. I didn't use the word no. I said, you know, I've helped you in the past with this and I'm willing to even consider helping you in the future. But right now I'm not able to help you with that. I apologize. Right. So this is the way to say no without saying no, because people don't like the word no. And that's their problem. Right. That's their craving. That's their desire. But one of the things that the Buddhist teachings are helping you to do is, of course, you're always focusing on your own mind and clearing out the pollution of your own mind. And that's the the focus of the practice. But what you're also learning is how the unenlightened mind works. And you're also learning how the enlightened mind works, too. And by you understanding how the unenlightened mind works and how other people function in the world, then you can make wiser decisions about your conduct to make it easier for you to kind of get along in the world. So if you know that people really struggle with hearing the word no, if you understand that the vast majority of the world has craving, anger, and ignorance, and they're craving and they're yearning and they're longing, and they're wanting pleasant feelings by borrowing your car, and you know that if you say no in that situation, they're going to experience painful feelings. And those painful feelings are being caused by them. It's being caused by their own craving, their own desire, their own attachment. But because they have wrong view, they don't understand that they're causing their own discontentedness. They're going to associate their painful feelings to you and because of their wrong view. So when you say, no, I'm not going to let you use my car, they're going to get angry and frustrated and they're going to vent that anger and hostility and aggression towards you. They're causing it, but you would rather try to minimize the potential of that occurring if you can. So here's a situation where by learning about craving, anger, and ignorance, these three poisons, not only can you eradicate them from your mind, but now when you're interacting with other people, you can modify your conduct so that it's less likely that their craving is going to arise and produce anger. So rather than say no in a situation like this, you can say no without saying the word no. Where the example I just gave you, where I said, I've helped you in the past with this, and that's been great that you've been able to receive that help, and I'm even willing to consider helping you in the future. But right now, I'm not able to help you with that. I really apologize. I'm sorry about that. And then they may still get angry, depending on how strong their craving is, but you've minimized it by the way that you skillfully speak. By you skillfully speaking with right speech, speaking at the right time, what you say is true, you speak gentle, you speak beneficially, and with a mind of loving kindness, these five factors of well-spoken speech, you can then speak in a way that is less likely for this other person to get angry in your presence. And this is where enlightened beings can function very skillfully around all people. Because enlightened beings understand craving anger and ignorance because their own mind had craving anger and ignorance and they had to eradicate it at one point. So because they eradicated it from their own mind, they understand how unenlightened beings are struggling with craving anger and ignorance. So now you can function skillfully through your conduct to minimize the potential for these things to occur. 
So in some situations, it's okay to say no, but we need to make sure that when we're saying no, the mind is not experiencing discontentedness, right? Yes. If your mind is angry or frustrated or irritated, your speech and your actions are going to be tainted. That's why the Buddha is explaining to you the three poisons, because as long as these three poisons exist, it's going to affect your intentions, your speech and your actions. And that's going to come out towards other people. And when you're putting out craving anger and ignorance into the world, that's what's going to come back to you. So you can eradicate these poisons from the mind and now make more and more decisions that are free of these defilements or these pollutions. And that's when you'll see improved results. Right now, if this is the first time you're learning this and you haven't done the work to eliminate these from the mind, then you've been making decisions through craving anger and ignorance throughout your whole life. And this is why you experience difficulties and struggles in your life. But now as you slowly start learning about these poisons and the solutions and you slowly start transforming the mind, more and more you'll be able to make decisions that are free of pollution, free of defilement, and that's where you'll gradually get your mind and your life to the point where you're now not functioning through craving anger and ignorance. Instead, you're functioning through generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. And now those decisions are wholesome and they're going to produce wholesome results. Thanks, No more questions for now. All right. Well, let's look at the next poison, which is anger or hatred. Some people even call this ill will. When you look in the 10 fetters, it's usually described as ill will. Anger, hatred, and ill will, these are kind of like the stronger versions, but there's also you know, this hostility, this aggression, this resentfulness, this aversion, this frustration, this irritation, this annoyance. It's all coming from the same poison. Essentially what it is is craving, desire, attachment that you understand this mental longing and strong eagerness. If you get the objects of your affection, okay, there's these pleasant feelings that arise in the unenlightened mind. But when you don't get the objects of your affection, that's when there's the ability for anger, hatred to arise. And that's where you kind of resist or deny and avoid these unpleasant feelings and circumstances. You don't like this unpleasant feeling and we tend to push these things away. Because the mind is craving for everything to be pleasant or comfortable or satisfying all the time, the mind is craving this permanence, then we push away our inner feelings of fear and hurt and loneliness and other feelings and we try to fill up our life with these other things that we think are going to be satisfying based on our cravings. And we treat these feelings internally like they're this internal enemy. But what it is, is it's this poison of anger that's causing this inner conflict. And we look out at the world almost as like other people are our enemies. And we're kind of like in this mode of self-protection where we're constantly protecting the mind. And the way that we tend to do that is very much like an animal because a lot of us have been reborn out of the animal world. When an animal doesn't get the objects of its affection, it gets hostile, it gets angry, it tries to put fear into other people, it growls, it scratches, it fights. Well, even though we're in this human world, the mind of an unenlightened being functions very much like an animal. That when we don't have the objects of our affection, we get angry and hostile and aggressive and resentful and we have this hostility. Rawr! 
we yell or we scream or we speak harsh or we do backhanded things or backstab people as a way of you know causing harm but that harm is just going to come back to us so when this anger is arising it's actually being caused by our own cravings when we get the objects of our affection we get pleasant feelings when we don't get them then there's this potential for the hostility and the aggression and resentfulness to arise and when we understand this is occurring we understand this process then of course we're interested in eliminating craving because that's what's kind of causing all of this to arise but what we start to understand is that we can actually get our hands around this anger and actually eliminate it by eliminating the craving but we also need to look at these two unwholesome roots or these poisons individually because there's individual antidotes or individual remedies or solutions to actually solve them the way to solve anger hatred and ill will this hostility aggression this resentfulness this aversion where we're trying to push people away and push situations away is to practice loving kindness meditation i teach you this as part of this program where you learn loving kindness meditation as a way to cultivate this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well cultivating this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment so you train the mind in loving kindness meditation to cultivate this loving kindness in meditation but then you need to go out into daily life through your intentions your speech and your actions to now practice loving kindness where you're now are polite kind friendly and respectful to all beings when there's craving in the mind and you have these expectations of others and your partner doesn't do what you expect or your children don't do what you expect or your friends or your family or your coworkers don't do what you expect which is craving desire attachment now there's this hostility and aggression and now you start talking to them in harsh ways or aggressive ways and it damages your relationships but when you understand that the problem is in your own mind and you get rid of these expectations and instead you maybe guide your children you talk to them you spend time with them uh, or maybe you have discussions with your partner and you discuss things that are helpful to run the household by you cultivating this loving kindness and meditation and then practicing it through your intention speech and actions where you're interested in all beings being well and you're not interested in harming them and you understand that your harsh words are harming your children they're harming your partner they're harming your friends and your family and your co-workers it's harming your relationships you can't have harmonious relationships when you're causing harm through your intention speech and actions so by you cultivating loving kindness and meditation and then choosing to practice it in daily life through your intention speech and actions by being polite kind friendly and respectful now when you're polite kind friendly and respectful with others over time this will gradually come back to you where other people will be polite kind friendly and respectful with you as long as you continue to reside in the darkness where you're treating people impolite unkind unfriendly and disrespectful then that's what's going to come back to you your partner your children your friends family coworkers your neighbors other people around you as long as you're impolite unkind unfriendly and disrespectful that's what you're going to get coming back to you so you've got to do this inner work to transform your mind and, and eradicate this poison of anger 
where through loving kindness meditation, you're doing this regularly over a consistent long-term period of time, the way that I teach in order to cultivate this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and this active goodwill, so that now when you cultivate it in meditation, you then practice it in daily life and you start seeing improvement to your relationships. It's not gonna be one day, it's not gonna be one week, maybe not even one month, but over a consistent long-term period, as you're bringing your practice up more and more and more, you will observe that the people around you will start functioning very differently. But you've got decisions that you've made in the past that are gonna come back and affect you now. So because we maybe spoke harsh and aggressive or impolite or disrespectful in the past, just because we choose today to now cultivate loving kindness and speak with politeness, kindness, friendliness, and respect with everybody. You can't just snap your fingers and you change and everybody else around you changes. It's gonna be a gradual process of you bringing your practice up closer and closer to loving kindness. And then because you were harsh and aggressive or resentful or hostile in the past, your partner, your children, your coworkers, your friends, they're still gonna be that way with you because that's the way you were in the past. So you've gotta burn off all these unwholesome decisions that you made in the past. And the way that you burn them off is that you create this consistent long-term practice where for multiple months and years, you're practicing loving kindness with everybody around you. Speaking in polite, kind, friendly, respectful ways, your actions are polite, kind, friendly, and respectful things that you're doing over a consistent long-term period of time gradually wear away this unwholesome decisions that you made in the past. So if you've been in arguments with your life partner, you've been in arguments with your children or your friends or coworkers, now when you start practicing this wholesome conduct, they're still gonna be interested in being harsh and aggressive with you because that's what they've learned is that you guys argue with each other. But by you choosing to no longer do that, more and more they will start learning that they are the problem because you were part of the problem before, but now you're antidoting the problem. You're transforming the problem, you're fixing it. You're now starting to choose to have intention, speech, and actions that emanate loving kindness. And over a consistent long-term period of time where they might be harsh and aggressive with you, but you choose to not do that any longer. Then over a long-term consistent period of time, they start realizing that they're being harsh and aggressive and you're not but it's gonna take more than just a couple of days or a couple of weeks for this transformation to occur in your mind. And then as the transformation is occurring in your mind, it's gonna take a long-term consistent period of time for the relationships in your life, for people to see that you're functioning this way over a long-term consistent period of time. But this is the ultimate solution, that by you learning and practicing in this way, Initially, it becomes a bit of a challenge, a bit of a struggle. It's kind of difficult because the mind's not used to practicing loving kindness in all situations. You might be used to when somebody yells at you, you yell back. Or when someone argues with you, you argue back. Or if somebody slaps you, you slap them back. You might be used to this in the way that you function. So by getting a handle on the craving, desire, attachment, learning how to restrain the mind, now more and more when people are doing unwholesome things you choose to do something different 
where before you were in the darkness with them, functioning in the same way as them, now you're choosing to rise above that. Not looking down on them and judging them and thinking that you're above them or that you're arrogant and boastful, but you're just choosing to rise above this murkiness, this murky water of the world where people are functioning with non-virtuous conduct or unwholesome qualities. You're choosing to now purify your mind, move above this murkiness of the world, rather than holding on and clinging to the way that the world has conformed to being aggressive and hostile and resentful and selfish, disgruntled, disappointed, and all these other feelings, you're choosing to do something different. And while other people around you might still function in those unwholesome ways, you've got to let go of that and then move above it. So it's loving kindness meditation and practicing loving kindness in daily life that will allow you to then cultivate that for yourself, your, this being that you are now, cultivating it for yourself and others, that now you'll start functioning through your intention, speech, and actions in more loving and kind ways and find it easier and easier to do that. Again, initially, it'll be a bit of a struggle to be at a challenge because you're not used to it. You haven't done it readily in, in the past, but that's why you've got a teacher to help you. You've got a community of practitioners to help you. And more and more, you learn how to do this where eventually you're practicing loving kindness with ease, where it might be a bit of a struggle or challenge at first. Uh, maybe even for the first six months or a year, it might be a challenge. But over time, as you meet that challenge and you gain more and more wisdom of how to practice loving kindness, then it will become effortless for you that you wouldn't imagine doing it any other way. Where in the past, you thought being aggressive and hostile with people would get you what you want. Now you realize that the problem is your wants. And you realize that the problem is the aggression and hostility. So now you start choosing to do things differently. And when you choose to do things differently, you start seeing the different results. You start seeing better improvements in your life. And when you start seeing these better improvements, you'll start gravitating towards those because you realize by you changing your conduct and the way that you interact in the world, then the people around you are going to change the way that they interact with you and you'll like those changes you'll like those changes about yourself you'll like those changes that you see other people and the way that they treat you and the way that you interact with them and the mind will just get more and more used to functioning closer and closer to an enlightened being and then you will never go back to the way that you were before where there was this hostility or aggression or resentment what questions do you guys have on this poison and would you kindly elaborate more on the meaning of judgment? Yeah, so what judgment is when I talk about judgment is it's looking down on people or looking up to people where you're essentially thinking what's wholesome for other people and you're kind of labeling this person as being bad or wrong or no good and you're looking down on them and trying to think of them in negative ways because they're choosing to talk aggressive and you're like oh they're bad they're unwholesome rather than think like that you can have discernment where you are choosing not to be harsh but you're not looking down on other people who are harsh for example or say one of your friends are using drugs or alcohol rather than looking down on them that they're using drugs or alcohol and thinking that they're such a bad person instead you just realize that that's their choices and you're choosing for your life to not do that because you've realized that that's not wise. 
or if you have a friend who's has sexual misconduct and they're cheating on their partner instead of looking down at them as bad or unwholesome and judging them for their conduct you just choose for yourself that as a wise decision as discernment i'm going to choose to not do that but i'm not going to look down on them that they've chosen to do those things even when it comes to moral conduct is it unwholesome to think that this person has a lower moral conduct than me yeah if you're looking down on people and saying you know they have lower moral conduct than me that's the conceit and the arrogance that's judging that's measuring and comparing people and the mind is wanting to put itself above others this is again from the animal world where in the animal world there's a pecking order you know there's an alpha female alpha male in our tribe or our pack and it's important to know who's above and who's below because it's the matriarch or it's the alpha male or the alpha female that protect the pack and take us to food and organize hunts and things like this but in the human world we don't need this pecking order all people are the same and we're all equal and as long as we're allowing the mind to put us above or below others then we can't reside with loving kindness with all beings because we're looking down on other people so we can't relate to others and we can't allow our relationships to blossom so our intentions our speech and actions start emanating from this unwholesome quality of conceit and judging others and it only harms our own mind it only harms our own relationships so when we look at all beings as equal now we can function and interact in the world with all people in exactly the same way so if the mind is used to think this way how to eliminate these thoughts by cultivating loving kindness through loving kindness meditation and practicing equanimity where you understand that all beings are equal so in situations where you see the mind wanting to judge others and look down on others or look up to others you cut that off and you remind yourself no that person's exactly the same as me we're all human beings you know so where you see yourself wanting to put yourself up above others you cut that off and if you're doing breathing mindfulness meditation it's easier and easier to let it go and cut that judgment off and if you're practicing loving kindness meditation and practice it in daily life and you have that mindfulness or awareness of mind and you see that judgment that arrogance that boastfulness that measuring and comparing arising in the mind and you know it's harmful to your own mind then you cut it off whenever you see it arising and then each time you cut it off you catch it sooner and sooner and you cut it back farther and farther so it's kind of like a wild bush the unenlightened mind is like this wild bush that's growing all these vines and all these limbs and all these branches and you're cutting it back further and further and further and further until eventually you get down to the stump and you obliterate it at the stump so it no longer regrows but you kind of constantly trim and trim and trim and trim and trim and trim so where you see the judgment arising and the arrogance arising you cut it off that's the trimming and you trimmed a little bit of the the wild bush and then you see it arising a little bit more somewhere else and you cut that off and you trim it and you keep trimming it and trimming it and trimming it until eventually you get to the point where judgment no longer arises in the mind because the mind has learned any time that judgment comes in you cut it off so the mind gets to the point where it's been purified and judgment no longer arises in the mind at all. Thanks, Steve. No more questions for now. All right. So let's look at the third poison, which is really the one that's keeping all of this going. 
was it not for ignorance, none of this other stuff would exist. But because the mind has this wrong understanding or wrong views of reality, there's this ignorance or this misperception of the way the world works. We have this inability to understand the nature of things exactly as they are. There's these perceptual distortions where the mind doesn't understand what it doesn't understand. This is the unknowing of true reality, the unknowing of these natural laws of existence. There's this confusion or this bewilderment in the mind. There's this lack of understanding or this lack of wisdom. And as long as we allow this ignorance or delusion or confusion to exist in the mind, then we don't understand things like it's craving that is causing discontentedness. And as long as we have anger and hostility and aggression, it's not going to promote healthy relationships. So it's the Buddhist teachings that he's sharing with you the natural laws of existence. And you don't believe those. But you learn them, you reflect on them, independently verifying them, and then you practice to see the truth for yourself. So the way that you transform the ignorance or the delusion is to arise wisdom. There's no meditation for this. What you do to arise wisdom is you learn, you reflect, and you practice. So reading books, listening to the podcast, attending live classes, getting personal guidance, reaching out to your teacher for help, this is how you arise wisdom. It's the Buddha's teachings that he's explaining to you, these natural laws. But again, if you believe them, you're not going to know whether they're true or not. So you're not going to get to wisdom. You have to get to wisdom by independently verifying the teachings. And that's how you learn, reflect, and then you practice. And that's where the real transformation is occurring. You're getting more and more wise. Every class you attend, every chapter of the book you read, every podcast you listen to, every time you interact with your teacher to get personal guidance, you're gaining more and more wisdom. But you're not believing me. You're not believing the books or the things that I teach. You're learning. You're reflecting and independently verifying and you're practicing. You're learning things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts. Brahma Viharas, the natural law of Gamma, the seven factors of enlightenment, extensive meditation training, working to eliminate the 10 fetters. These are all things that you need as your core and central teachings. And they're all explained in volume one of this book series. They're all explained in this group learning program. And as you're going through this as an independent practitioner and you're independently journeying along this path to enlightenment, you might need to call your teacher over to bring the light and kind of shine some light on this path. So that's what the books and the classes, the personal guidance and everything else is doing is the teachers bringing the light to show you the path more and more clearly. And then you have to walk that path on your own. The teacher is just there to show you where the path is. And then more and more, as you get rid of the darkness and the pollution, then you have this light that you can now be more and more independent. There's more and more light in your own mind because now you're eradicating more and more of the pollution. And now where initially when you first start on this path, you need the teacher to help you with a lot closer guidance more frequently. But then after you get a year, two years, three years, however long into your practice, your interaction with your teacher will probably be less and less because you'll notice that there's more wisdom on board. The teachings have soaked into the mind more and you're functioning more independently where initially you might need to 
talk to your teacher once a week or once every two weeks or once a month or you might have needed to read the books consistently every day for six months or a year or so you might need to attend these classes regularly for several months or for a few years before you are now practicing the teachings more fully and then as you're clearing out more and more of this pollution in your own mind there's more light that's shining through and you can walk this path more readily so this ignorance or delusion or unknowing of true reality this is where the unenlightened mind doesn't understand it doesn't understand what it doesn't understand because we have wrong view in the unenlightened state thinking that other people are causing our problems and causing our discontentedness we tend to go around in the world and try to control others we try to fix others and we think if we can get everyone else to do things our way that then life's going to be peaceful. But it's impossible because you can't train 7.5 billion people to do things your way. So when you understand this wisdom that you have to focus on your own mind, now by focusing there, you can get to the real solution. So the number one thing that a practitioner who is interested in enlightenment is doing is they're cultivating wisdom. They're regularly learning, they're regularly independently verifying the teachings through reflection, they're practicing and they're seeking guidance to get that help to be able to see the teachings more and more clearly. And then as the mind gets less and less polluted, there's more purity in the mind, then you'll be able to function more and more through making wise decisions through generosity, loving kindness and wisdom, no longer functioning through craving anger and ignorance but generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So whenever you're struggling with a certain decision and you're looking to make a certain decision, you would like to look at generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, trying to ensure that you don't have your own selfish desires of craving in there, being sure that you're not making decisions through anger, making sure you're not making decisions through ignorance or your own misunderstandings. So this is where Sometimes if a student is going to be making some really big, impactful decisions, they might consult the guidance of their teacher. The teacher is not going to make the decisions for you, but you might choose to reach out with some certain impactful decisions to get some guidance about the Buddhist teachings about you know how you should maybe go forward. But then ultimately, it's your decisions of what you do. But a teacher should be able to give you help with understanding the Buddhist teachings so that you can then come to your own decisions through your own wisdom and helping you to acquire the wisdom to make your own decisions. But as long as we allow ignorance to reside in the mind, we're going to be misinformed. We're going to have these misperceptions or this wrong understanding, and that's going to motivate unskillful decisions and unskillful conduct. So what questions do you guys have on this poison of ignorance or delusion? You can put those into Facebook YouTube or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions or follow up questions directly. So, by eliminating ignorance, the mind will not experience any of the painful, pleasant, or neither painful nor pleasant feelings. Right. If ignorance is completely eliminated, then there will be no craving or anger. There will be no discontentedness. The reason why the mind experiences discontentedness is because of craving. But the reason why craving exists is because of ignorance. If it wasn't for ignorance, craving wouldn't exist. So oftentimes when someone first comes to this path, you learn the Four Noble Truths. 
as the first step into understanding right view and establishing right view up to that point where we have that breakthrough of understanding the four noble truths we think everyone else is causing us to be angry we think everyone else is causing us to be sad and frustrated even after learning the four noble truths and starting to understand them to a certain degree we can still have experiences where we we just know for sure other people are causing us to be angry uh, it's not until you deeply penetrate the Four Noble Truths and you have that breakthrough that you can truly see every single time that your mind is discontent, it's craving. It's your own craving. But you can't ever get to that understanding as long as there's ignorance in the mind. So it's the wisdom of the Four Noble Truths and deeply penetrating them that helps you to understand that very first pivotal piece of right view in the Four Noble Truths. But then there's so many other pieces of wisdom that need to be learned and understood and reflected upon and practiced to truly transform the mind 100%. But that's one that I can kind of point to initially because oftentimes when someone learns the Four Noble Truths, if they understand them from the beginning, it's kind of like this light bulb goes off. Like, oh my goodness, I've been causing all these problems in my life uh, throughout my entire life. But not everybody has that same experience. So sometimes people can learn the Four Noble Truths. And even six months or a year later, and even longer, can even struggle to see how they are causing their own discontentedness. Even though they might understand it intellectually to a certain degree, to actually practice it and be able to see it clearly in every situation that you're causing your own discontentedness this is because ignorance still exists in the mind as long as there's discontentedness occurring that means there's craving in the mind and if there's craving in the mind that means there's ignorance in the mind because you're lacking the wisdom of how to fully eradicate craving if you had 100 percent wisdom if there was no such thing as ignorance in the mind any longer then all craving would have been extinguished and all anger would have been extinguished. So as long as there's discontentedness in the mind, there's still ignorance. There's something you don't understand that is causing that craving to continue. So I'm wondering about a sentence you mentioned in the book in volume one related to these feelings. You wrote, you will no longer be affected by pleasant feelings, a painful feelings or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So the mind will not experience these feelings at all, or the mind will experience them, but will not be affected. It will not experience this contentedness. An enlightened mind won't experience conditioned feelings of conditioned pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or neither painful nor pleasant. So an enlightened being doesn't experience happiness when they get a new job. They don't experience a rising of excitement when they get a new job or they don't get excited when they get a new car. They just know that this is something they need and they just purchase the new car because that's what they need. They need transportation. Because an enlightened being already knows that this car is impermanent and they've trained their mind so that they don't experience a rising of conditioned pleasant feelings because of a car. Instead, there's just permanent joy in the mind that if they have a car, there's joy. If there's no car, then there's still joy in the mind. Uh, they can be content and joyful regardless. And the same thing with painful feelings. So sadness and anger and irritation and frustration, an enlightened being doesn't experience those because the condition of craving has been eradicated from the mind. 
what's causing the pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and neither painful nor pleasant is the condition of craving. But an enlightened being has purified the mind, no longer has craving in the mind. So the condition that's causing discontentedness no longer exists. So since that condition is no longer there, it's impossible for discontentedness to arise. Well, uh, Tonka has, you have Dresda? I was wondering if you could give me a good advice when it comes to my workplace. But I'm noticing if a resident or a family member is angry and upset, we all tend to accommodate all that they are asking for. And my supervisor is making sure that we are doing everything we possibly can. And then I noticed residents and family members that are very polite and kind, we kind of neglect them in a way like they don't get enough attention. And I don't feel it's the right way, but I don't see how I can do anything about that and what would be your feedback and what would be the right view when it comes to that. Yeah, this is the difficulty with working in a business or a company or a facility that the people don't understand right view they don't understand these teachings and that's the vast majority of the world so it sounds like the decisions that are being made are being made based on wrong view that someone thinks that okay this person gets angry because they don't have mashed potatoes let's give them mashed potatoes or this person is angry because they didn't get their favorite blanket. Let's give them their favorite blanket. But that doesn't actually solve the problem. That person's going to just continue to get angry. But in a business where their goal is to satisfy the customer, their goal isn't to train the, that person's mind to get to enlightenment. Oftentimes management will make the decisions or the owners will make the decisions to just give the customers what they want as a way of satisfying them because because of their own craving for money they make unwise decisions to just give the customer what they want and thinking that that is going to create a better environment so if you're going to work in an environment where you have bosses and employers you're going to need to do things the way that they're asking you because if you did exactly the opposite then you're creating unwholesome results for yourself because now your boss is asking you to do one thing, you're doing something opposite of that, and now they're potentially fire you and you lose your job because of it. So you'll have to function in a way that you're fulfilling the requirements of the job and what your bosses are asking, but you understand that giving this resident their favorite blanket or mashed potatoes or something like this, this isn't gonna solve their anger. They're angry because of their craving, but you can, just function the way that your company has asked you to function. But then in your private life and the way that you function within your private life, you might choose to do things differently. Well, Jeff writes, do you have any advice for catching that knee-jerk reaction to a situation when three poisons take over? Yeah, so the unenlightened mind is going to react in situations and it's going to be reacting through these three poisons. What you're trying to do is you're trying to train the mind to get to a response where you're responding with generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom 
rather than reacting with craving, anger, and ignorance. So by you doing what it is that I'm sharing, which is learn the Buddhist teachings and practice them, that's going to transform the ignorance to wisdom. And then to get rid of craving and anger, you're practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity. You're practicing loving kindness meditation and loving kindness in daily life. This is all gradually transforming the mind. So there's no quick fix. There's no button to push. There's no immediate thing that you can do to eradicate these poisons. It's a gradual wearing away of these poisons. So what you would like to do is learn this path more and more closely, implement the teachings more and more closely, gradually build up your practice. And then in a situation where craving, anger, and ignorance does arise, and you observe that with mindfulness, you cut it off. You might need to apologize to the person and then aim to do better. Because oftentimes when we learn teachings like this, people think that they should be able to snap their fingers and instantly do better. That's not the way any of this works. There's this gradual wearing away. There's this gradual training. So where you see that you can focus on learning these teachings and get your practice closer and closer to the ideal of what an enlightened being is going to practice, you should continually make efforts to do that. And where you see you're not doing that, you're going to need to apologize, right? Where you see that you're not able to practice and there is the rising of craving, anger, and ignorance, you're going to need to apologize. You're going to need to aim to do better. You're going to need to reach out to your teacher, explain the situation, get help and get guidance of learning how to do that better in the future. You do those things enough, and then eventually you get to the point where these poisons are eradicated from the mind. They no longer exist because you've eliminated them. So you've got to go through this gradual process of learning and gradually wearing away these or transforming the mind away from the three poisons. And that's just going to take time. Well, a comment on Facebook from Kelly. She writes, no question, but I thank you, teacher, for all the guidance. My life has completely changed. Wonderful. Pleased to hear that. Yeah, keep learning, keep practicing, and you'll continue to see more and more changes. I don't suspect this is the case, but I'll just share it because it helps a lot of people is sometimes when we initially start seeing changes and we start seeing improvements in our life, there's a tendency for the mind to become complacent because we've made so much progress. So don't allow any kind of complacency to come in. That can be a potential thing that occurs. So even with all this progress that you're seeing, that's wonderful. And just continue to do what you're doing. Continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to practice, and you'll just see continued improvement. Oftentimes we think about getting to enlightenment as like a finish line and that once we cross the finish line, okay, we're done. But I think a wiser way to think about it is that there is no finish line, that even when the mind gets to enlightenment and you're no longer experiencing any discontentedness whatsoever, this is like the beginning of the rest of your life. So if you can think of it that way, that yes, you've experienced progress and you observe that, but you're just going to continue to stay dedicated and diligent, as I'm sure you are, and not allow any complacency to come into the mind. That way you can continue to make progress. Even once the mind is enlightened, no longer experiencing discontentedness, there's all kinds of wisdom that you can learn in the world about all kinds of different things. So by never really considering yourself to be enlightened or never considering yourself to have crossed the finish line, then you'll stay open to continuing to cultivate lots of wisdom in your life. 
All right, so now just to kind of summarize what we've discussed in today's class related to the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires is that these are described in different ways by different people. I tend to use craving, anger, and ignorance or the unknowing of true reality because I think this describes the qualities of mind that the Buddha was discussing most closely. But you also see people refer to this as greed, hatred, and delusion or desire, ill will, and confusion. These are all pointing to the same thing. And if you read chapter eight, you'll understand how I explain craving, anger, and ignorance and why I use these words or this unknowing of true reality. Because oftentimes we think of ignorance, we think about it in a derogatory way, or we look kind of down on people, you know, kind of calling someone stupid or dumb. That's not what the Buddha was actually describing. He's talking about this unknowing of true reality, this misunderstanding, this confusion, these misperceptions about the world. And as long as we have these misperceptions or this unknowing of true reality, then we're going to continue to stay stuck in this cycle of constantly experiencing craving and anger because this ignorance exists. What you'll be working to do is arise generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. This is the exact opposites. So generosity is transforming craving. Loving kindness is transforming anger. And wisdom is transforming ignorance. And I gave you guys solutions on this here in today's class and also in the chapter to help you understand how to transform craving, anger, and ignorance towards generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. And all of everything that I'm going to be teaching in the rest of this program and in the rest of this book, volume one, and even in the rest of all the other volumes, everything that the Buddha is teaching is to guide you to eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance from the mind. And then more deeply, those 10 fetters. So everything that he's teaching, even though I might not call it out as the three poisons or craving, anger, and ignorance, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, the Five Precepts, meditation, practicing the middle way, all these teachings are really guiding you to eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance. That's how you transform the mind to enlightenment. So eliminating these three poisons is what's going to produce now this pure mind where you can now make decisions through these three wholesome roots. And by eliminating all the unwholesome roots and now arising the wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, 100% of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes will be eliminated because you're no longer making unwise decisions. You're no longer experiencing unwholesome results because you're not making any unwholesome decisions. But again, that happens gradually. The mind will experience enlightenment as you're making more and more wise decisions through generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So this is everything I was going to share with you guys today. I'll open up to any questions that you guys have. We can discuss those. And uh, the way that you do that is put them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or raise your hand electronically in Zoom, and I'll be pleased to help you. Well, while we're working and progressing towards enlightenment, we should start by eliminating craving and then work on anger and then ignorance, or is there any certain order to work on these three unwholesome roots? 
you're really working on all these things at the same time. Just like the Eightfold Path, you're kind of dialing it in closer and closer each day. When you're aware of these different problems in the mind, then you can isolate what's going on. You know, So you're not just working on ignorance. You're not just working on craving. You're just working on anger. It's really doing all of this together because each one of these classes that you're coming to, each time you read the book, you're working on eliminating ignorance. You're looking to arise wisdom. And now that wisdom that you're arising in the mind, the things that it's sharing with you to do is to eliminate craving through breathing mindfulness meditation, through generosity, through practicing the Eightfold Path and the other things. And then this is helping you to eradicate anger. So all these things are working together. You're not doing one thing before the other. You're doing all of it together. Well, any advice, any guidance about how to practice uh, generosity? There's lots of different options. You know, everybody has different ways. You know, I, I think of just simple things sometimes, you know, just as simple as smiling at somebody. Here I am back to Arlington, Virginia, getting ready to start the retreat here in a little bit. I haven't been here for over seven years. And, you know, I walk down the street, I see people, I smile, you know, good morning. How are you? Or I get in the elevator and I smile and, you know, good morning, good evening. How are you doing today? And some people reply and some people don't, right? Because that's impermanence. So if somebody just looks at me strange or they don't reply, no problem, no painful feelings because I don't expect them to reply. I don't have a craving for them to reply. But the way that you practice is that you would like to put out this generosity, right? So even just something as simple as a smile, good morning, how are you? This helps the mind to now practice generosity. But yes, there's things, you know, like if your neighbor has uh, something that they need help with, help your neighbor. If your friends or your coworkers need help with something, help them. But then also remember the middle way that you need to be sure that you're able to apply time, effort, energy, and resources to the things that you need help with. But if that's all you ever did was focused on your own selfish desires, then you're not going to be practicing this giving and sharing or this generosity. So some people choose to help their friends, their neighbors, their partners, their children. This is all great. But also, you know, look at charities and you know, look at supporting the Buddhist teachings. If you've been receiving help through the Buddhist teachings, you know, you can share with temples and meditation centers and your teacher uh, to help them to continue to share the teachings into the world. So there's all these different ways that you can practice sharing your time, effort, energy, and resources. Well, you when you mention the word wisdom, you mean only the wisdom or the knowledge of the, the Buddhist teachings? As it relates to eliminating the three poisons, yes, that when we talk about wisdom, it's working to arise the wisdom of the natural laws of existence. And by arising the wisdom of the natural laws of existence, you're learning to eradicate craving and anger from the mind. But to really be successful in the world, you have to cultivate wisdom about more than just the Buddhist teachings. You need wisdom of lots of things in the world. So. When you develop this practice of investigating the teachings of the Buddha and arising wisdom to eradicate craving, anger, and ignorance, then those qualities of being interested to cultivate wisdom tend to move into other parts of your life too, where you might be really interested in computers or flying airplanes or space exploration or science or fabrics and sewing and 
community organizations and planting and gardening. So you can gain wisdom about many different things in the world. You're going to need to gain wisdom about the Buddhist teachings to get to enlightenment, but there's other wisdom that you'll cultivate too. But an enlightened being has cultivated so much wisdom about the path to enlightenment that yes, they have that wisdom, but they have this real affection towards the cultivation of all wisdom. So they'll be open to learning about all different types of things and different enlightened beings will have an interest in different things. You know, there'll be a lawyer who's enlightened. There'll be a politician who's enlightened. There'll be a community leader who's enlightened. There'll be a taxi driver who's enlightened. There'll be a food server who's enlightened. You know, different people will have different aspirations in life and they'll cultivate wisdom about these various things in life, but they'll do it with generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, not having craving, anger, and ignorance. So you'll function within whatever role that you've decided that you would like to fulfill in life to contribute to the world, but you'll do it through the three wholesome roots, and then that's where you'll be successful. And when you find that livelihood that really connects with you, and you know that this is something that you truly enjoy, that people almost don't need to pay you to do this livelihood, you'll know that you found the right livelihood because the compensation is needed in order for you to pay for food and clothes and water and things like this, but you would be willing to do this job for free if you could. So you're going to be practicing generosity in all different types of ways, but this wisdom that you cultivate is going to be in all different types of topics, not just the Buddhist teachings, because you'll have this affection for cultivation of wisdom, having cultivated wisdom around the Buddhist teachings. So do you believe that acquiring the Buddha's wisdom and functioning through the three wholesome roots helps one even in their professional life? Yes, because as long as there's craving anger and ignorance, your personal and professional relationships are going to struggle. You're going to have difficulty making wise decisions that produce wholesome results. So once you are gradually eradicating these three poisons, then you'll see your personal and professional relationships blossom. This is one of the ways that you know that what you're learning is the truth. The person who just spoke recently about how these teachings have transformed their life. Well, yeah, the teachings need to be learned, but that individual learned the teachings, they're dedicating their time, they're practicing the teachings, and they're seeing their results in their life, in the condition of their mind, in the way that they interact with their personal and professional relationships. You can see the truth for yourself that as you arise more and more generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, your relationships are just going to blossom. So you'll be more successful in your personal and professional relationships. All right. Well, thank you all for joining today's class. The future classes that we have is next Sunday. We're going to be in chapter nine, which is what is gamma and how does it affect me? Here, we're going to be talking about this natural law of gamma, not as punishment and rewards, but instead what this natural law is connecting it to the three poisons. And then this Wednesday, Bossom is going to be teaching the fourth class of a four-part series on the topic of Buddhist chanting. And that's going to be a Zoom-only class. So if you would like to join that class, 
come into Zoom. We're not going to be live streaming it since I'm traveling. Bassam and Miranda is going to be teaching the Wednesday classes and they're going to be Zoom only for the next few weeks. And then once I'm back in Chiang Mai, I'll be doing the Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday classes, live streaming them and so forth and so on. So feel free to read chapter eight and nine as you're preparing for this week and next week for next week's class. And then if you'd like to join Bassam on Wednesday, you're more than welcome to do that. We're going to be starting our retreat here in Arlington today at three o'clock. So anybody who's listening to this, who's here in Arlington or close by, if you would like to come join the retreat over the next five days, we're going to be teaching these teachings in person for the first day and a half. I'll be helping people establish a foundation in these teachings. And then for the three and a half days additional in the retreat, I'm going to be sharing teachings that I haven't shared anywhere in any of the books or on any of these online classes. So thank you all for joining. And I would just like to say thank you all for any generosity that you've practiced towards me to support me and help me to be able to share these teachings with you. Any generosity that you practice with me, it's coming right back to you because I'm using that support to then be able to offer these teachings online and offer these teachings in person, provide you personal guidance and all these resources at no cost. So I'd like to just thank you all for all your generosity and everything that you do to support me to be able to support all of you. So have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. I'll see you either in a future class, maybe this Saturday or Sunday online, or if you're here in Arlington, I'll be seeing you in person. So have a very wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.